I've only ever had like one set of ideas. Almost exactly 20 years ago, I made my list of like the things I wanted to work on and uh, AI and energy were the number one and two. I think I came to these just by like thinking about where I thought I could be most useful or, or where I thought like technology could contribute to society in the kind of like highest leverage ways and, and like where I wanted to focus my time. So it's been like a successive winding path to get there, but it hasn't worked yet. Like neither, not even AI and certainly not fusion has worked yet, but I think we're like on a promising trajectory on mm -hmm. both. A friend of mine recently got Mac OS 8 or 7, I think OS 8 running a web browser. And I was like, man, am I going to have fun? And then he like put my favorite childhood game in there. So I spent like hours and hours playing <laughs> Glider Pro in a web browser when I was supposed to be like getting ready for dev day. It was incredible. Like I've always liked getting to go use old computers. And so that inspired me to try to go like use original GPT-3 again, the thing that we launched. And man, have we made progress. That's Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI, which is perhaps the most powerful tech company in the world. He spoke to two of my colleagues several times in November, ahead of our Person of the Year issue. Every December, Time recognizes the people who've done the most to influence the events of the last year. And in 2023, Sam Altman is Time's CEO of the Year. Thanks to the release of ChatGPT, the most rapidly adopted tech product of all time, and its successor, GPT-4, this was the year that, as Altman puts it, the world started taking AI seriously. OpenAI has become an $80 billion phenomenon. AI has become a revolution. And Altman himself has become the public face of what may be the most exciting technological shift in the history of humanity. I'm Charlotte Alter, senior correspondent for Time, and this is Person of the Week. It's also been a rocky few weeks for Altman after he was suddenly ousted from OpenAI and then reinstated just days later. My colleagues Nana Bajakal and Billy Perigo have been speaking with Altman and the people around him for months in order to chronicle the rise, the fall, and the comeback of the man who just may be the most powerful human in tech. I asked them what made Sam Altman the CEO of the year. He's more than your average tech CEO. He's not just building a, a widget. He's not even just in charge of one majorly important social media company. If what he's doing is successful, he will have made nothing less than a technology that fundamentally reshapes the entire character of our social and economic world. And in many ways, he is as much of a sociologist as he is a businessman or a technologist. And understanding that, I think, uh, helps us to understand what he's driven by. I think it's fair to say that OpenAI is at this point the most important tech company in the world. People said that once you know a machine could beat a human at chess, that would be a huge landmark. And that happened you know, I think in the 90s, um, once a system is much more powerful than a human in every way, everything about our society could change incredibly quickly. I'm Naina Bajako, and I'm an executive editor at Time. I'm Billy Perigo. I'm a tech correspondent at Time. So what OpenAI is trying to build isn't just AI, it's what they call AGI, which stands for Artificial General Intelligence. And what this is, is they believe a technology that can basically do any kind of productive labor that a human can do. 
and do it much faster at the speed of computation rather than the speed that we are as humans limited by. And they believe that if you can surpass those human limitations, you could quite quickly get to a system that is in many ways superhuman in its capabilities. And what that does is it kind of, Altman believes, pushes us into a world where it's possible to have kind of total abundance, whether that's understanding the universe to such an extent that you could make new scientific breakthroughs, whether that's new technologies, whether that's a social system where you could reduce the cost of goods and services in the economy to such an extent that it would make money a thing of the past or a system where people can basically be free to do what they like. Artificial general intelligence promises all of these capabilities. And with Sam Altman at the helm of that, I think understanding him and his motivations has probably never been so important. He has established himself as the face of this industry. It's been just over a year since ChatGPT was launched. And he has been the person kind of guiding the conversation, whether it's about policy or safety, the commercialization of this technology. I think he's the person that we look to at this point. I think what the rise of ChatGPT has shown this year is that it's a possibility that the world is kind of waking up to the need to account for, to some extent, and understanding what Altman wants that world to look like, how he wants the world to adapt, and his suggestions for what the kind of social contract in that world should look like is fundamentally important because he's one of the people who has been closest to it for a long time. And so understanding his character, I think, really offers quite crucial insights into where we're going. Shortly after Nana and Billy's story was published, our editor-in-chief Sam Jacobs spoke with Altman at Time's annual Person of the Year event in New York City on December 12th. Here's a portion of their conversation. Please welcome Time's 2023 CEO of the Year, Sam Altman. Sam, thank you again for being here backstage. Sam said this was the most fun thing he'd be doing all week, so I hope you don't. I said this is the mind. only fun moment. The of only my whole New York fun. Trip this is great. Um, we have a lot of questions for you. Uh, right. Appreciate uh, your time. The first one, I think, uh, on the minds of many people in the room tonight. Uh, what the hell happened? <laughs> um. <laughs> it's a good opener. Thank you. A lot of things. It, it, it's it, honestly, it's been a crazy whole year. Like in the context of everything that has happened to us this last three weeks or month or whatever it's been, it stands out, but not as much as you would think it should. We we kind of like went from this unknown research lab to this like reasonably well-known tech company in a year, and I think that takes most companies like ten years, and that's been a wild experience to live through. Um, of course, these last few weeks have been particularly crazy, uh, and sort of like painful and exhausting and happy to like be back to work. Um, to say something like empathetic, uh, I think everybody involved in this, as we get closer and closer to super intelligence, um, everybody involved gets more stressed and more anxious and we realize the stakes are higher and higher. And I think that all exploded. How do you think this moment has changed OpenAI? Um, it's been extremely painful for me personally, but I actually think it's been great for OpenAI. Um, we've never been more unified. 
Uh, we have never been more sort of determined and focused. And we always said that some moment like this would come between where we were and building AGI. I didn't think it was gonna come so soon, but I think we are stronger for having gone through it. Uh, again, I like wouldn't wish it on an enemy, but it, it, did, it did have an extremely positive effect on the company. And what did you learn from it? Um, I haven't like fully recompiled reality yet. It, like I didn't, I haven't had the time to like emotionally process all of this because it was like, it all happened so fast and then I had to like come back in and pick up the pieces um, that I haven't had time to like sit down and really reflect as much as I would like. But I, I would say the most important thing that I learned, um, you know, a, a thing I had always heard as like a cliche or whatever is that your job as a CEO is how much, like the people you hire and how much you sort of develop and mentor your team. And the proudest moment for me in all of this craziness was realizing that the executive team could totally run the company without me. I can go retire, opening I will be fine. And I'm super proud of the people to do that and to watch them work at a time where I couldn't really talk to them, um, but they did an amazing job really made me very proud. And it also made me very optimistic because I think as we do get closer to artificial general intelligence as the stakes increase here, um, the ability for the OpenAI team to operate in uncertainty and stressful times is, is like really, that should be of interest to the world. You, you're describing how high the stakes are here. What do you say to someone who says, this company brought itself to the brink of self-destruction. How can we trust its leader and how can we trust its company with this transformative technology? Um, we have to make changes. Uh, we, we always said that we didn't want AGI to be controlled by a small set of people. We wanted it to be democratized and we clearly got that wrong. So I think if we don't, make, if we don't improve our governance structure, if we don't improve our, the way we interact with the world, people shouldn't. But we're very motivated to improve that. On those changes, your former uh, co-founder, Elon Musk, former person of the year, um, has described OpenAI as a closed-sourced, maximum profit company effectively controlled by Microsoft. Uh, is Elon wrong? <laughs> On all of those topics. And any others? Or do you um, want to... And, you know, I actually, in spite of his, like, constant attacks on OpenAI, I'm very grateful that Elon exists in the world. I think, Why? Because I think he's done some amazing things. I, I think the transition to electric vehicles is super important. Um, I think getting to space is super important. Uh, and I'm grateful for those things. You know, we're definitely not maximum profit-seeking, although you could talk to Elon about some of his ventures for that one. Um, and we open source a lot of stuff, we'll open source more in the future, and we're certainly not controlled by Microsoft. Um, and I think all that is something that someone can say, but does not actually reflect the truth. Um, a thought on an, a question about another competitor. Google released Gemini last week, um, a model that Google claims outperforms GPT-4 on many performance tests. What do you make of Gemini, and why did it take them so long to release it? 
I'm happy for more people to be making AI progress. I think, I think AI will be the, most, the single most transformative technology of this era. And so more people doing that, I think, is great. When the big Gemini model, I forget what it's called, I think Gemini Ultra, when that gets released sometime next year, we'll get to look at it. I can weigh in on it then. Um, certainly there's been a lot of confusion around the metrics, but I'm, I'm sure Google will do great work. Uh, in an interview earlier this year with Edward Felsenthal, you said, uh, my, my predecessor as Time Editor-in-Chief, you said, I am a Midwestern Jew. I think that fully explains my mental model. Uh, yeah, I think that's like... Is that true? You still feel that way? No, I think it's like a compressed one sentence to like explain everything about what I... I think that's pretty good. As a, um, as a New England Jew, I have to ask you, um, how does Judaism shape your worldview, and what has it been like to have been a Jewish leader since October 7th? You know, if you had asked me this question at the beginning of the year, um, I would have said there's all of these like subtle but important cultural things that have... I think shaped my worldview and how I act and how I sort of live my life. And I wouldn't have talked about anything other than that. And one of the, one of the weird things about being Jewish and getting internet famous is like most of your online experience is people saying like horrible things about Jews. And I don't know if that was always the case or if that's like ramped up, but that's certainly been my experience this year and on double time since the last couple of months. Um, I think I was just like wrong to be so dismissive of this. I was like, look, anti-Semitism, we're done with that. The world has moved on. There's other problems, let's talk about those. And I have really seen in this last year, and particularly in this last couple of months, that I was just completely wrong about that. And it's like a sad, sad thing for the world. You're someone who likes to take on intractable problems as you've thought about that. You know, how do you think about solutions towards that? That one seems harder than AGI. Uh, speaking of difficult problems, next year is a historic year for democracy. There will be elections in 40 countries. Um, are you concerned at all about AI's ability to contribute to disinformation? And are, do, you have, do you think there are specific concerns that we're not concerns that you think we're not taking seriously enough? Yeah. So. I think AGI will be the most powerful technology humanity has yet invented. And like any other previous powerful technology, that will lead to incredible new things. I think we'll see education change deeply and improved forever. I think the kids that start kindergarten today, by the time they graduate 12th grade, will be smarter and better prepared than the best kids of today. I think that's great. I think we can talk about the same thing in a lot of other things. Healthcare, people who program for a living, a lot of other knowledge work. But there are going to be real downsides. And one of those, I mean, there'll be many that we'll have to mitigate, but one of those is going to be around um, the persuasive ability of these models and the ability for them to affect elections next year. And I think we're going to really confront something quite challenging. So what's that going to look like? You could have, so, so right now, um, it's like troll farms and whatever foreign country who are trying to interfere with our elections. They make one great meme and that spreads out and all of us see the same thing on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. That'll continue to happen and that'll get better, but a thing that I'm more concerned about is what happens if an AI reads everything you've ever written online, all, every article, every tweet, every everything, 
and then right at the exact moment sends you one message customized for you that really changes the way you think about the world. Um, that's like a new kind of interference that just wasn't possible before AI. I find in most conversations with you, people are processing their fears, so if you'll allow me. Um, is, is AI good or bad for media? One thing I always say is no one knows what happens next. I think the way technology goes, predictions are often wrong. The future is like subtle and nuanced and dependent on many branching probabilities. Uh, so the honest answer is I don't know. But I think it's going to be more good than bad. It will be bad in all sorts of ways. But I think it nets out to something good. As people have more free time, um, more attention, and also care more about the people they trust to help them make sense of the world, to help them decide what to trust and how to think about a complicated issue, I, I think they're going to rely and care more about their relationship with someone in the media more and more and care more about high-quality information in a world of, like, massive amounts of generated content. So I think it should be net good, but it will be different. How do you think about your company's role and your role in helping to preserve an ecosystem where high-quality information remains? It's obviously super important to us, the, but that's like a sort of empty statement. Um, the kinds of things that we try to do are build tools that are helpful to people. If to people in the media, people in other industries. If, if you had asked us five years ago what was going to happen, we would have said, we will be able to build you know, trusted, responsible AI, but fundamentally, it's going to be going off and doing its thing. And now, I think we see a path to what we do is instead build tools for people. And we put these tools out into the world, and people, media or otherwise, use them to architect the future. And that is the most optimistic thing I think we have discovered in our history. And the, the safety story changes in that world, the way that we are a responsible actor in society changes in that world. Um, I think we now see a path where we just empower everyone on Earth to do what they do more and better. Uh, and that's, that's so exciting. That's so different than how I thought AI was going to go, but I'm so happy about it. Speaking about where AI is going to go, um, one of the challenges I think we had in, in talking about the work that you've done and that OpenAI is doing is helping people understand your vision of, of what artificial general intelligence means for our future. And so can you help this room understand how their lives will be changed? You said you can't predict the future, but as we move forward, you know, what will AGI mean for all of us? I think the two... I mean, there's many, like, important forces towards the future, but I think the two most important ones are artificial intelligence and energy. Um, if we can make abundant intelligence for the world, and if we can create abundant energy, then our ability to have amazing ideas for our children to, like, teach themselves more than ever before, for people to be more productive, to offer better health care, to uplift the economy, um, and to actually put those things into action with energy, I think those are two... Massive, massive things. Now, they come with downsides, and so it's on us to figure out how to make this safe and how to like, responsibly put this in the hands of people. But I think we see a path now where the world gets much more abundant and much better every year, and people have the ability to do way, way more than we can possibly imagine today. And I think we're... I think 2023 was the year we started to see that, 
2024, we'll see way more of it. And by the time like the end of this decade rolls around, um, I think the world is going to be in a unbelievably better place. It sounds sort of like silly and sci-fi optimism to say this, but if you, if you think about how different the world can be, not only when every person has a, you know, today they have like ChatGPT, it's like not very good, um, but next they have like the world's best chief of staff. And then after that, every person has like a company of 20 or 50 experts that can work super well together. And then after that, everybody has a company of 10,000 experts in every field that can work super well together. And if someone wants to go focus on curing disease, they can do that. And if someone wants to focus on making great art, they can do that. But if, if you think about you know, the cost of intelligence and the, the quality of intelligence, the cost falling, the quality increasing by a lot, and what people can do with that, it's like a very different world. It's the world that sci-fi has promised us for a long time. And, and for the first time, I think we get to start to like see what that's going to look like. Uh, two quick questions to, to wrap up this conversation. And again, thank you for being here. Uh, disqualify yourself from consideration. And remember, there are a lot of CEOs in the room tonight. Who should be the, the 2023 CEO of the year, if not you? There are a lot of good choices for that. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm hugely biased on this. I do think uh, AI was sort of the most exciting, impactful thing to happen this year, so I'd give it to one of the other AI companies, but I'm, I'm like, really biased. smooth answer. Um, <laughs> uh, a much harder question to end this conversation. Uh, what is your favorite Taylor Swift song? Uh, that is a hard question. To pick like a not super popular one, I would say Wildest Dreams. Okay. But Oh, you know, I like that. Non, but all of the like, all of the super popular ones are great too. Uh, well, Sam Altman, Times 2023 CEO of the Year. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. You can find Nana and Billy's story about how Sam Altman defined this year in Times Person of the Year issue, which is out this week. Thank you so much for listening to Person of the Week. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you tuning in over the past year to hear me ask nosy questions to everyone from Tim McGraw to Fran Drescher to Brian Chesky. And we've got a lot more great interviews planned for next year. So enjoy the holidays and tune in for brand new episodes starting in January. And as always, you can email me at personoftheweek@time.com if you have any ideas for who you want to hear from next. Happy New Year! This episode of Person of the Week was produced by Sasha Mathias and Charlotte Alter, with help from Nana Bajakal, Billy Perigo, Kelly Conniff, Tim Vassallo, Chris Grassinger, John Stiles, and the entire Person of the Year team. Person of the Week is hosted by Charlotte Alter. It's produced by Nina Bisbano and India Witkin. Our senior producer is Ursula Summer. Our story editor is Katie Feather. Our theme music was composed by Billy Libby. Joseph Frischmuth is our fact checker. Person of the Week is a co-production of Time Studios and Sugar 23. At Time, our executive producers are Michael Erlinger and Sam Jacobs. At Sugar 23, our executive producers are Mike Mayer, Michael Sugar, and Liam Billingham. Sasha Mathias is the head of audio at Time. You can find us online at time.com slash person of the week and wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>